Merry Christmas. Uh, I'm sure that you all can remember back to being a kid, or maybe you are a kid, and you had a specific Christmas where you really wanted one particular toy, and you just didn't get it, right? Maybe you wanted the toy of the year. Uh, in fact, this week, I came across the link, and it had the most popular Christmas toy for every year, going back uh, almost 40 years. I want to highlight some of them for you. Uh, 1983, the most popular toy was the Cabbage Patch doll. Don't ask me why, just look at it. Uh, <laughs> makes no sense, okay? Uh, kids wanted this. 1985 was the Pound Puppy. Uh, I remember this. Uh, 1995 was Beanie Babies. What a craze. Of course, they're totally worth 25 bucks for a tiny thing. And then 1996, the worst toy actually ever to hit shelves, uh, Tickle Me Elmo uh, was <laughs> the toy of the year, uh, which even Elmo without the tickling laughter is annoying enough, right? <laughs> and just un unreal, sorry to Sesame Street fans. And maybe as a kid, you know, that was a year and you were just hoping for that present, but instead you got something you didn't expect. Like, I don't know if you've seen the videos on YouTube of the parents who give their kids kind of like a gag Christmas. Have you seen these? Like a gag Christmas present just to see how they're going to react. A terrible parenting, super entertaining. Uh, <laughs> kind of like this. Take a look. <laughs> Super sad. 2,000 years ago, we got what is the best present the world has ever received, and that is the birth of Jesus as a baby. And yet, I want to tell you this afternoon that the way that Jesus came was actually completely unexpected. Now, the Jewish people, that's God's chosen people of the Old Testament, they were expecting that a Savior, a Messiah, would one day come and then rule over the whole world forever. But most people hadn't actually studied the prophecies that closely, and so most were a bit confused about what they were actually looking for. Uh, plus, in the time of Jesus, uh, the, the Jewish people were actually uh, controlled. They, were, they had been occupied by the Roman Empire, and so many people were just picturing a Messiah would come and liberate them from the Romans. Now, let me ask you, if you were alive 2,000 years ago, and you knew that a Messiah was coming to rule over the earth, a Savior was coming, and someone, let's say maybe an angel or something, clued you in that it was going to come sometime in the next 12 months, how in your mind do you think you would have scripted it out? 
My guess is that probably none of us would have been able to script it out like it actually happened. Which, by the way, is just another logical reason for us to believe that it actually did happen. Because if anyone was trying to make this up, this is actually not how you write it. So what I want to do, in fact, this afternoon is I want to give you five ways that the coming of the Savior was actually completely unexpected to the people of that day, and maybe even to the people of our day. The first reason that the first Christmas happened in an unexpected way is this, that Jesus, the Messiah, came as a baby, not as an adult. Now, that may sound really weird to us, but we got to remember that we've been conditioned by the story, right? We've heard the story a thousand times. But the prophecies speak, and these were written, and any archaeologist can tell you, they were written hundreds of years before Jesus was born. They spoke of God coming to reign on earth. And so when you think of God and coming and reign, you're picturing these images like power and strength, not cute, cuddly baby. And so lots of people, as they would have been looking forward to a Messiah, would have been picturing God almost coming down on the clouds in power. And yet, God comes not in a show of force, but in humility as a little baby. It's truly unexpected. Second reason for an unexpected Christmas. Jesus came from no-name parents. Now, history tells us often of the birth of important people, uh, particularly of princes and princesses born into royalty, right? And what do we think of these people? Right, take uh, Prince William's son, Prince George of England. Like, right now, even though Prince George is probably playing with his Peppa Pig playset in the palace or something, right? We just kind of naturally expect, because he was born into royalty, that someday he's going to grow up and be famous and do lots of important things. And so, whom would you expect, if you didn't know the story... Whom would you expect that the savior of the world would be born to? Well, you would guess uh, maybe like King Herod, right? I said uh, King Herod couldn't have a baby, so King Herod's wife, right? <laughs> or, or maybe the wife of Caesar or something like that. But Mary? Joseph? Like, who in the world are they? Right? They're nobodies from nowhere. In fact, most scholars believe that Mary was just a teenager. A teenage nobody from nowhere becomes the mother of the Savior of the earth. And that's because God looks not at the outward appearance of your life, of what you'd accomplish in life. He looks to our hearts. Now, look what he says to this no-name woman from the middle of nowhere. We're told that the angel Gabriel says this to, this is Luke chapter 1, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings. You who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. God's unexpected ways aren't often our ways. Okay, let's take a look. Third, third reason that Christmas happened in a totally unexpected way. Jesus was born in the least of towns. So you know Bethlehem, right? Because you just hear that story at Christmas. But Bethlehem is just a tiny, tiny village outside of Jerusalem. Now, 2,000 years ago, a whole lot of people probably had no idea where it was. It's like telling people from the South Metro that you're from Ham Lake, right? They're going to go, huh? And you can just say this. It's like, you know, the lake that looks like a ham. Look at it. It's a ham, 
Unbelievable. So creative, that city. And yet, can you just imagine, like, the media that, what, guys, what if? <laughs> it was prophesied hundreds, again, hundreds of years before that the Savior would be born in this little town called Bethlehem. And those who were thinking that Messiah would even come as a baby, they just missed it. But here it is in the Old Testament, hundreds of years before Jesus, Micah 5.2. It says, but you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come from me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Let me give you a fourth reason. His birth announcement was made to the unimportant. That is the unimportant to society, not necessarily to God. So we're told that God, he's going to announce the birth of his son. So he sends down one angel. Then eventually he sends, it says, a whole host of angels, which is like an entire army of angels. And he chooses to send those angels to shepherds, like dirty often misunderstood, definitely not high on the ladder of success, shepherds. Author Max Lucado says it this way. He says, Had the angel gone to theologians, as people who study God, they would have first consulted their commentaries. Had he gone to the elite, they would have looked around to see if anyone was watching. Had he gone to the successful, they would have first looked to their calendars. So the angels went to the shepherds. Men who didn't have a reputation to protect, or an axe to grind, or a ladder to climb. I mean, this is happening almost the exact opposite way that many of us would have scripted out the Savior coming to earth if we would have had the chance to. But remember, God is not like us. And let me give you a fifth reason why this happens in a totally unexpected way. His birth was a mostly private event. Now, again, if I'm told 2,000 years ago that the Messiah is going to come in the next few months, and I go, okay, God's coming to earth, the Son of God, oh, man, this is going to be big. Uh, If I'm clued in that he's coming as a baby, this is what I'm picturing it looks like. By the way, we actually had that produced for this service, which is amazing. <laughs> that was from the new Lion King, if you didn't know. Okay. Jesus' birth looks nothing like Rafiki. Is that his name? Um, thank you for the person silently nodding in the front. Uh, I was out on a limb, and you just left me there. Uh, <laughs> but it looks nothing like that. Instead, it looks like this. Luke 2 from the Bible says, While they, that's Mary and Joseph, were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. So the Savior of the world is born in a manger. He's born in this stable. Some conjecture it's part of this built into a cave, but there's, there's no palace. There's no crowd of people. There's no crib lined with silver and gold. In fact, one of the things that I love in the book of Luke in the Bible is 
the angels go to the shepherds and they say, okay, you're going to have to go kind of towards Bethlehem and find the Messiah, the Savior. And they said, when you get to town, there's a sign so you'll know which of the babies is actually the Son of God. And you're thinking, okay, I was probably going to be like the baby holding the royal scepter or something like that. But this is what they say, Luke 2.12. Says this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Now we hear that, we think, oh, that's so cute in the manger. But take yourself out of all the things you know about Christmas. What they're essentially saying to the shepherds is, here's how you're gonna recognize which baby is the Son of God. It's the one that'll be lying in the grimy feeding trough for the animals. That's the Son of God. I mean, it's just all about as unexpected as you could come up with for the coming of the Savior of the world. And so it's not what we would expect for a Savior, but if you read the rest of the story about Jesus, you might realize that unexpected gifts aren't always a letdown. Sometimes the unexpected gift is the one that we actually need. The famous philosopher Soren Kierkegaard Uh, once wrote a story about a king. And this king loved a a poor woman who was just a a commoner. And yet, this incredibly rich and powerful king felt that if he asked this peasant woman whom he loved to marry him, he felt like he would never know for certain if she would have loved him just for himself. Or was she going to agree to marry him just because of what he could offer her, right? That she would get to be king and she would have money and fame and all of these things. And so the king decided that the only way he would know if she truly loved him for who he really was, the only way that he could truly prove his love to her was to descend down from the palace and descend down to where she was. And so he laid aside all of his power, all of his privileges, all of his wealth, and he became a commoner, just like her, to win her true love. And see, that's what Jesus, the unexpected king, is like. He's the one who left heaven, right? He left its throne, its incomparable riches, to be born in a dirty manger, Why? For you. He did it for you. To win your heart. God knew that if he would have just stayed in heaven, or even if he would have rode down to earth on a chariot of fire, he knew that while we may be impressed, he most likely wouldn't have our hearts. And he wants your heart. That's what he wants. He wants to show you that he is no ordinary king. I mean, think about this. Okay, just as King Jesus came in an unexpected way, he treats you in an unexpected way for a king. A normal king wouldn't pay attention to people like us, right? I mean, who are we? We're nobodies. And yet the Bible says that King Jesus is pursuing you right now. He desires that you know him personally, that you invite him into your life. I mean, just think about that. The king of the universe 
came down to our level on earth because he wants to be in a relationship with you. By the way, that's why he sent the angels to the shepherds and not celebrities. He, he wants you to know that he's interested in people like us, no matter who you are and no matter what you've done. He's the unexpected king. Even in how he looks at justice. Have you ever noticed, especially recently uh, in our culture, that everybody wants justice for everything, right? You just look at somebody funny, and they say, I'm offended that you looked at me funny, right? Some of you are offended that I'm talking about people being offended, right? We just, that's, that's where we are. Uh, by the way, do you see this in the news uh, this week? Uh, Merriam-Webster, every year they come out with a word of the year, the 2018 word of the year is justice. So in the last 12 months alone, the word justice has been looked up 74% more than any other previous year. It's just our culture right now. We crave justice. We want justice for those who are committing wrongs. And this is where I think Jesus makes perhaps the most unexpected move of all, not on Christmas, but 33 years later on Easter. So instead of riding into Jerusalem on a chariot, he rides in on a donkey. Instead of receiving a crown with jewels, he receives a crown of thorns, and he willingly, he willingly dies on a cross. Why? Son of God, the Savior of the... Why is he dying on a cross? So justice could be done. One of the things that the Bible is really clear about is that every single person on earth, every single person in this room, all of us, that we're sinners, like we fall short of God's incredible holy standard of perfection. Obviously we do, right? We cheat, we lie, we lust, we backstab, we hate, we sin, right? The list goes on. And if we want justice so badly for everyone in our world that we look at that's screwing up, we must not forget that there must also be justice for our own sins. Don't miss what I'm about to say. No, nobody in this room missed this. Maybe you've been opposed to coming to church or opposed to God for a long time now, but for whatever reason, here you are in this room today. But one of the reasons that you've kind of been put off to God is you're picturing God in heaven on his throne, kind of looking down at your shortcomings, kind of like any other king ready to just execute judgment on your failures. But I will tell you that Jesus isn't like any other king. Jesus is the unexpected king. He's not sitting on his throne shaking his head at you. No, he came down for you because God loves you. And he wants to be in a relationship with you. He sent his own son to die on the cross for you. And when Jesus dies on the cross, the Bible tells us that what he's doing, actually he's taking our punishment. The punishment that we deserve, he's taking for us. Oh, he lets justice be done, but he lets it be done on himself. And that's unexpected. Is undeserved. It's amazing love. Right? This is like John 3.16, one of the most famous verses in the Bible, but it's famous for a reason because it has the central truth of the Bible. It says, for God so loved, as you, the world, 
that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And so if you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for all of your sins and you invite him in to your life, you say, I want to follow you. I want to become one of your followers if you did that for me. You can be completely forgiven. Justice will be served, but it will be served on him. There's no better news than that. But it does come with a warning. The Bible also says that if you don't believe, because he's, it's like, okay, here's a Christmas illustration. It's like he's pushed this gift of forgiveness, of eternal life in heaven across the table to you. But if you say with your life, you say, no, I, I don't really want to follow you. I don't want to invite you into my life. I just kind of want to do it on my own. Well, then the consequence of not opening that gift is then the justice will come upon us because we rejected it, not upon his son. And we then, because the justice falls on us, will be separated from God, not only in our walk here on earth, but for eternity in hell. You see, Jesus came to rescue you because he's crazy about you. He came like no other king, and he's going to treat you like no other king. And for those of you that are sitting in this room right now, and you want to open that gift, you say, if, the, if, like, if that's who Jesus really is, if that's who he is, and he wants to forgive me, I, then I want to be forgiven. I want to open that gift. I want to start following Jesus. If that's you, I want to give you an opportunity today to be forgiven, to start a relationship with him, to go to heaven with him. I I want this to be a special opportunity, so let's just do this just for a minute or two. Let's just have everybody in the room, even if this feels a little weird for you, would you just close your eyes? If you want, even just bow your head. If you know that God is just kind of moving in your heart today, and if he is, that's him, he's real, and you're hearing that he loves you, that he sent his son for you. He can forgive you. You can have a relationship with him. I mean, there's no better promises than that. If you want to invite him into your life to have that relationship, to be forgiven, in a minute, I'm actually going to ask you to respond by just quietly standing up where you are. That, that, by the way, that's just a symbolic way for you in this part of your life on December 23rd to say, hey, this was the day that I said, I believe, I'm opening the gift. I believe this. I'm going to be forgiven. I'm going to start following you. No one's looking at you. Okay, so kind of put that out of your mind. That's why I just had everybody close their eyes. And by the way, don't think, don't think, but I'm, I'm here with my family today. What would my family, if, if you're here with your family, especially if they go to this church, there's nothing they want more for your life than for you to invite God in so you can be together for eternity. So wherever you are, If I'm talking to you this afternoon and you've never done this before and you'd like today to open that gift and become a follower of this Jesus who died in your place, if that's you, I want you to just stand up where you're at and accept that gift. Go ahead. You can stand up right now. Wherever you are. Awesome. Amen. If you're here 
and you feel like your heart is even just kind of thumping a little bit and you know that God is just talking to you and he's saying, hey, it's just time to surrender. It's time to stop running from me. It's time to come home. It's time to invite me in. If that's you, make this your day and believe and follow him. If that's you, would you just stand up wherever you're at and accept that gift? Amen. Awesome. For those of you that are standing, you just keep standing as others join you. Anyone else where you just feel like, I, need, come on, I just need to do this? Amen. Anyone else? You need to just take this point in your life and stop running and just start standing for him to let him in. Anyone else? Let me give you another just five or ten seconds. If you know, if, if the, by the way, if the God of the universe is speaking to your heart, that's a good time to respond. He's speaking to you. Amen. Anyone else? If at any time you want to, I encourage you to just join the number of people that are standing. For those of you that are standing, I just want to pray with you. The Bible says when we get to this point that we confess with our mouths and we believe in our hearts. So we just want to pray with you together. In fact, I'm going to have you who are believing for the first time join everyone in this room who's maybe believed for a long time. And we just want to pray this prayer together. So whether you just believed or you've believed for much of your life, would you just repeat this after me? Dear God, I confess to you that I have sinned against you. But God, I believe that you sent your son Jesus to take my place. And God, I thank you for forgiving my sins. And now I commit to following you with my life. Uh, as everyone still has their eyes closed and people are standing, I, I just want to call the band back on stage. And I just want to talk to the number of you in this room that are standing right now. Uh, what I want to do is I need you to do one more thing for me. I, see, I believe that you just made the most important decision of your entire life. And if you make a decision of that magnitude, that requires some more information. So what I'm going to ask is everyone has their eyes closed and they're praying. I'm just going to go out in the hallway if you would just, for the number of you that are standing, if you would just join me in the hallway just for a couple minutes, I just want to give you a few resources for what do you do next? How do you get started in this? And I would love to do that. And by the way, if you're here and you're like, I did this in my heart today, but I just, I'm not a stander, you come out with us too so we can just get you those resources and you'll be able to sneak back into your chair. And so um, I'm going to have uh, one of our band members pray and you can just follow me in the hallway and then you'll be able to sneak back in the service. Thanks.